0: From the website, girlfriendit.com and the movement girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan on Toginet.com.
1: So well, are you able to live and speak in a loving way even when you disagree?
2: Okay, you know what? We kind of we were talking about this earlier, um, Patty, but I didn't tell you the whole story. Um You know, it's really interesting that that this topic, because we're going to be talking with our guest a little bit later who wrote a book, and it's called Living Love When We Disagree. And what's interesting about that is how do we disagree with each other? Um, You know, it's like, can we agree to disagree? Or when we disagree with somebody's point of view, do we feel like, you know, we have the right to um, I like how my husband once said, um, "You have the digital courage to kind of digitally rant, you know, mm. and put on social media." And it's really interesting because this this one hits home because um, yeah. just last week, um, my son did a blog, and then and my husband had done a blog, and um, and and you know, I thought they were both beautifully written, and they weren't taking sides. It was a little bit on the you know talking about kind of the values and even as believers, who do we, you know, do we need to get all worked up about this election and live with fear? Or do we really trust that God is in control and we're citizens of the kingdom? And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of, it's kind of that thing. It's like, you know what? Yeah, it's, we're really living in some really interesting times. um, And that, that we have not really lived in before. And people are, you know, a lot of confusion and a lot of fear and a lot of apprehension, but it's like, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and just breathe and go, okay, but I still believe God is in control. And we're first citizens of the kingdom. And how do we look at that? Well, on on these blogs, um, they didn't get well received. And even from a lot of, you know, Christians, which, um, it was really hard because people were kind of brutal, um, with some of their comments and there and the way that they disagreed. And, um, I found that just very disappointing. And, um, And also, you know, it's, it's hurtful. It's hurtful to watch your son being blasted and your husband and, and, um, you just kind of sit back and, you know, and, and I, I, I don't hold anything, but it's just, it's just interesting to watch people. And it's like, what can I learn from this? And how am I using my words? And how do I disagree with somebody? Am I disagreeing in a respectful way? And so, you know, it was a good challenge to look at myself and to go, how do we live? How do we love even when we disagree? And, um. So this, this is going to be a good topic, Said It really it really kind of hits home. So anyway, be, before really. we get too much farther into our show with all that, we just want to remind everyone that you're listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And want we'll to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at
1: girlfriendit.com. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And just like Lisa said, we have an exciting show. We're going to start out with Melissa Spolstra. And she is a popular women's conference speaker, Bible teacher, and writer who is madly in love with Jesus and passionate about helping women of all ages to seek Christ and know Him more intimately through serious Bible study. Melissa holds a Bachelor of Arts in Bible Theology from Moody Bible Institute and enjoys teaching God's word to diverse groups and churches and she's also the author of first corinthians living love when we disagree but her latest release is total family makeover and it she just talks about the eight practical steps to making disciples at home so welcome melissa we're so excited to have you on the show today oh, thanks so much for having me well, Melissa, we we definitely are um, in a crazy topic, and there's uh, I don't know if it's just because of the election taking place, but I I love that um, in your last book on First Corinthians how living love when we just dis- disagree, and so many times I think like you were saying, Lisa, as a body of Christ, we can we can study it. We can have, write books about it, but how are you truly like using your EQ to, um, to apply it? And, mm-hmm. uh, especially when we get in, I know we went out to dinner with a, another couple last night, my husband and I in the neighborhood. And whenever you get into, you know, people say, Oh, you can't talk religion. You can't talk, talk politics with, with people. It's just the no, no. And it's kind of sad because Why can't we, as believers, be able to have these conversations? And I I know that's such a cliche, you know, we should be able to agree to disagree. But we really should be able to love when we disagree. And I love what you said, um, Lisa, just with watching your words. Because if we are citizens Mm. of the kingdom, then the things that we say, what comes out of our mouth, we should be able to respect each other that we we all have different opinions. So uh, Absolutely,
3: absolutely. I, I I mean if I can just interject real quick. I something that with that whole concept that I think is huge is that as I look at Jesus' life, I watch his ministry and I hear him proposing truth constantly, like I am the living water. If anyone is thirsty, come to me. He offered himself. So we see him proposing this truth, but we don't see him imposing this truth. You know, he said, I'm the living water, come and drink. He didn't say, let's tie everyone up in a straitjacket and pour the water down their throats. And yet, if we look at the church community and as Christians, there's sometimes just something in us that wants everyone to agree with us or want to impose, and I think part of it is because we're so passionate about God's love and his truth. And so we want everyone, whether it's about, you know, the color of the carpet at church, or whether it's something deep and theological, we just want everyone to agree with us. And I think if we could let go of imposing truth and follow Jesus into proposing truth, I think we'd disagree better.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that is, that is a great point. And and just to to you know, be able to sit back and breathe and go how. Mm-hmm. And my words, like it's almost like, what question do we have to ask ourselves when that fight or flight happens in yeah. our brain, where we get it's like literally your emotions are being hijacked, and all of a sudden that, you start yes. speaking things. So that, that we need to sit back and go, wait, what? What do I want out of this relationship? What's the bigger right. picture here? And do I? Is it because like? And I love what you said, Melissa. It's just because we're so passionate about that, right. but on the and that passion can come out as very judgmental and mm-hmm. it can crush and shame that person that we're having the conversation with. And is that really the big picture?
3: Is that really well, what I think? it. Yeah, no, you're right about the big picture. And what I found in First Corinthians, I mean, I grew up in East Texas and you know, in a very conservative um, you know, denomination and, and affiliation and unity was like a dirty word because that it was equated with compromise. You know, if you're all cooperating and on the same page, it was compromise. And what I've learned, and especially in studying First Corinthians, I mean, the theme verse of First Corinthians is, is one ten where Paul says, "You know, I appeal to you, dear brothers, you know, to." strive for unity in the church, to be of one mind and one purpose. And Jesus himself prayed in John chapter 17. He prayed not only for his disciples, but for everyone who would come after him that would believe in him, that they would be one, just as he and the Father are one. And he said, that's how the world's going to know about my love, is as Mm -hmm. they see the unity in you. And so I think when you're talking bigger picture, bigger picture here is that unity should matter to us because it matters to God. And so I mm-hmm. have to have unity in the back of my mind before I make that comment. And when it comes to the Internet, there's this thing called keyboard courage. I mean, you can see it with everything that's being posted constantly and even believers. I mean, we have this in our own church where uh-huh. the people are on different sides politically. And on Facebook, people are posting things and nasty comments made underneath. And my husband did a sermon to address it because unity has to be valued. We've got, we, we are going to disagree. That's, there's no way we're all getting on the same page about everything. But, but that's why Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth because you've got former prostitutes and idol worshippers sitting at the table next to Jews and slaves and you know leaders. They're so different, and we're so different, and differences cause us to lead to disagree. But where, do, how can we strive for unity and treating each other, valuing, treasuring people? That was Paul's call. And so, that, that when you're talking about that bigger picture, when our emotions are heightened. What if we started valuing people and valuing unity as much as we value whatever point we're trying to make?
2: Mm. Well, and and this this like I said earlier when I when I introduced this is such a relevant topic right now uh, within our family and with the, even in our church. My husband is a senior pastor, so you know it's like how do we how do we guide people? And, and this unity thing is so huge. And I think so much about even our American culture. It You know kind of comes into the church and we're very as a culture individualistic and we we um so we think about me and my point of view and what how it affects me and we don't look at a bigger picture and go I am a part of a bigger picture sometimes we think we are the bigger picture and and then my rights or I you know I've been wounded or I've been hurt or somebody disagrees with me we take it very personally without being able to step back and see the bigger picture and how this all fits and I so appreciate when somebody has a different point of view because it challenges me in mind. It either makes me stronger in my convictions or it challenges me to see from a different perspective that I might not have um, seen before. And, and it stretches me. It, 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 it enlarges me, you know, to, to think differently and, and, and to see things differently. And I think we've lost that. And, and we, we so are um, driven to be right at any cost and the problem is when we're right what we're communicating to the other person is you're wrong and nobody wants to be wrong so it's like we're so you know it's like I got to prove that I'm right and I'm going to use my words and then like you said the word passion we get passionate but sometimes we take that too far where the passion leads into emotion and so we're we respond out of emotion that hasn't really been filtered we're just responding because we you know. Our own views have been personally attacked or whatever. So it's very interesting, this whole, this whole dialogue about that. We just have one minute, and we're going to go into our first break. This went by so fast. But um, just this unity thing is so huge. Um, what did you learn when you were going through, like, First Corinthians? Like I said, we only have a few seconds about this unity What popping up about that.
3: What I loved is that Paul didn't say, here's what you all need to believe. Believe this, when he wrote his letter. He said, here are some overriding things to consider as you're dealing with especially gray issues. You know, these are the non, we're not talking about the gospel. He started with the gospel and he ended with the resurrection. Those are non-negotiable. We're talking about, for them, it was meat sacrifice to idols. For us, it's it's different issues. But he didn't say, here's what to do or what not to do. He said, you need to ask questions. Melissa, I have to stop you right there. Oh, I have to
2: to be so rude. Okay, Okay. we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back.
3: Okay, sounds good.
0: For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond.
4: A common misconception when it comes to exercise is that you have to do the whole workout, otherwise, it's not worth doing at all. That is untrue. One of the most positive things about exercise is that it's not all or nothing. If you find yourself swamped and you do not have an hour to devote to daily exercise, don't worry. Every little bit counts. So if you don't have time one day to do your normal full workout, it's okay to do an abbreviated routine every once in a while. Squeeze in anything you can. It all adds up. If you only have 30 minutes, lift weights for 10 minutes, then take a brisk walk or challenging run for the remaining 20 minutes. Sometimes all you can manage to do is fit in 15 minutes of abdominal exercises. That is definitely better than doing nothing. Do what you can and reap the benefits. For the Fitness Minute... I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on TogiNet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Back. We are back with our guest, Melissa Spolstra, and as a parent, Melissa has struggled in the past with knowing how to help her kids love and follow Jesus in a world that is pulling them in many directions so she wrote the book Total Family Makeover and it was born from her own biblical studies and experiences with her children she wants to inspire parents to keep pursuing Jesus and implementing ideas to help their kids develop their own relationships with him and uh, just we we had to hurry and go on to a commercial break but we were actually even though we want to get to your book on Total Family Makeover Melissa we, we rudely interrupted you as you were talking about Paul and we're we're driven to be right at all cost and and Paul comes on and uh, along and says um, here are, so, are some important things to consider he doesn't just mm-hmm. come out and say hey y'all believe okay. this he says ask questions like you know unpack mm-hmm. things dig in so go ahead and, and and finish that where you were coming from there
3: sure I'd I just say that you know here's this newfound grace that we have in God. And he just said to the church, you need to ask the question, yes, everything is permissible for you, but what is beneficial? So just to step back and go, is it going to be beneficial for me to make this comment? Is it going to be beneficial to voice my opinion? What tone am I going to take? And just asking that question, "Is, is this going to be helpful or hurtful? Is this going to be water or is this going to be gasoline? And then the second question would just be, how would this affect others? We're so right. We live in this individualistic society, and they're more about communal living as we look in, in Scripture. And we have to ask, how will my behavior affect a weaker brother, a stronger brother, an unbeliever? And so I think just, just implementing those two questions can help us live love when we disagree. Is this going to be beneficial? Not just allowed, but beneficial. And how will this affect other people? And just to stop back and just, just give ourselves a little check with those two questions before we post anything, before we say anything, especially when we disagree.
1: And that's a great tip, Melissa. I would almost recommend for our listeners to put a little posting note on their computer. Is it going to be beneficial to make this comment? Because we do. We get, we get fired up. And I, I love, Lisa, what you said about, you know, we're driven to be right. And I don't know if it's just something as as a child, you know, from kindergarten on where we're raising our hand and we want the teacher to go, yes, Patty, you are correct in that answer. <laughs> we're just, we all want to be right rather than have unity. And uh, I, I really, I, I think it's so interesting because We know that people don't like to be told what to do. That's a fact. Nobody wants to be told, you need to do this or you need to think this way or, uh, you know, whatever when you're, you know, barking orders or bossing someone around. So if we know that, then why don't we step back and change the way we direct those comments? And I love what you said because Paul did that. He said, ask questions. So why don't we start with asking questions why, why did you think that was important or why did you write it this way? Or have you considered, you know, so even that a tip to, on your post-it note where you're saying, um, is it going to be beneficial to make this comment? And then the next one should be ask questions because then we can really understand each other, you know, that. In, in the the book Stephen Covey on um, seek first to under uh, no Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Individual, but he says seek first to understand, then to be understood, and there's there's a lot to be said for that.
3: Right, and I would add to that we're Christ followers and as we look at Christ and as we follow him in the gospels what was he doing he was constantly asking questions and it wasn't even because he didn't know the answers it was to help that person discover the truth because he knows what we know people don't like to be told what to do or what to believe or how to think but if you ask the right questions they can get there because a wise counselor draws out the wisdom that's already in someone's Heart by helping them discover it on their own in a way that will that they will embrace even more by just asking good questions. Love it, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I, I think there's so much to be said for that. I mean, we can get into so many things here as Christians were. Um, As a body of Christ, you can start getting into, you know, homosexuality and people leave the church over, you know, something that might be said or now with politics. It's like if you don't vote for a specific party, therefore you're not a believer. And uh, we can get crazy into we have to be the same body of Christ and believe exactly the same versus can we agree? for that unity to be a body and disagree
3: on some of these right. issues. And so here's what and, I think is crucial. What's major and what's minor. And this is what's hard to sort out. And I, I tell the story about when my husband and I, before we started dating, I read Neil Clark Warren's book, Finding the Love of Your Life, which, you know, this was way before eHarmony was even a thing. And he wrote a book, but <laughs> he said, make a list of the top 10 things that you're looking for in a spouse. Just, you know, in whatever order. And then he said, put them in order. What's the most important, you know? And then he said, you know where you can compromise. You probably, I mean, who got all 10 in there? Right? I mean, we're human. We're not all perfect. And so, but you know, you're not compromising on one, two, or three, you know, whatever those things that are most important to you are. And when it comes to our Christian faith, I think we need to know what's at the top of our list that we will never compromise, that we will stand on for." You know, come hell or high water, you know, things like the gospel, things like the resurrection, those things that Paul emphasized. But then on those minor things like the meat sacrifice to idols or, you know, how we do celebrate communion or the way or some of these lesser issues, we, those are the ones we can agree to disagree on and just say, you know, let's find common ground. I like the term common ground more than middle ground because middle ground says I have to move from my position and I don't necessarily want to move from what I've studied and I've read and and with the best, you know, all that I have, I might hold loosely to my position but I don't want to move from it to get closer to you. But instead, let's say what do we have in common? We all believe that Jesus came and he died and he rose again for our sin and we believe that you know, at the at the foot of the cross in the empty tomb, we can stand there together. We may have nothing else. We may do baptism differently. We may see a different point of view on human sexuality. We may have all these other things that will get sorted out in heaven, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. until then, we can hold loosely to some of the things, other things, and we can still hold our position and disagree. hmm Well, I,
2: you know, we could keep going because this is so pertinent and relevant to just everyday living, no matter what the climate is and our culture and what's going on. I think we just need these are just such great reminders and, you know, what's minor, what's major and really step back and really think, you know, before we. We post, think before we speak. I mean, that's just a good rule of thumb for anything. But I want to shift gears here in the time we have left because you also, at the same time, have just written a book that's come out called Totally Family Makeover. And, you know, just how do we navigate our, our kids and our families and our homes? That's a really huge challenge for for all of us. And what does that look like? Look like? So I just want to ask you, in, as you were writing and in the writing process of Total Family Makeover, what was one one of the areas that, that you kind of discussed that really sticks out to you that just kind of jumped out to you, you know, like, this is really kind of at the
5: heart.
3: Sure. I mean, I think first of all it was born out of me just going the parenting report card. I think we all struggle with that as parents, feeling like when our kids are doing well, we're great parents, when they're not doing well, we're terrible parents. And and realizing that we need to throw away the parenting report card and focus on long term intentional training over short-term behavioral results. And I look at God the Father in the garden. His kids still made some bad choices. He was the perfect parent. And I don't think God is up in heaven right now grading himself based on how you or I obey or disobey today. But I do find him intentionally modeling and training for us what it means to be in a close relationship with Him. So let's move that into our parenting and say, rather than focus on the guilt, the shame, the negative self-talk of reading our kids' behavior as our report card, let's instead be super intentional in modeling and training. And I just looked at the life of Jesus and say, how did He do this prayer thing? He, he was healing people and teaching people God's Word as His very Son, and yet He valued slipping away to go and pray and what a model for us as parents and then he also was intentional about training his disciples hey this is how you pray and so you know there's eight steps they're not the only things but I would say they are the eight spiritual rhythms that my prayer would be that my children would embrace as adults that they would pray that they would study God's word that they would you know have a mentor that they would find community in the church that they would serve others that they would rest that they would give back to God and that they would share their faith. And those are kind of the eight things that I would just say are like, her parents were so overwhelmed. Oh my goodness, those eight things, how do I do all those eight things? This gives you just a place to start and a track to run on with some practical ideas, not like, hey, this is the way to do it, but hey, let this be a springboard for you to then brainstorm, how could I do this in my family, and um, what, how could I bring this home for me, and, and, and simple, little posture changes that we can make, and, you know, of the eight, obviously the first two, I think, are just super important, prayer and Bible study. I think our kids are in a canoe that is being pulled downstream. And if we want to give them the best oars for navigating upstream, the narrow way of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus, prayer and Bible study are those two oars that are going to get them up there. So how do we do it? And we just just don't feel equipped. What does this look like? I don't know if I'm doing it right. Maybe they'll teach them that at church. And I just want to encourage all of those parents out there and say, you can do this. You, God has what, what God has taught you, you can pass on to them. It, I think the enemy wants to tell us it's too hard, we can't do it, and, or that we won't finish. This is a big one for us. You were talking about how we want to be right. We want to be recognized by the teacher and get the right answer. I think sometimes we want to do it perfectly as parents. So mm-hmm. for fear we're going to fail, we just might not start at all. And I just want to say never stop starting. Because if you aim for nothing, you hit it every single time. So Mm -hmm. if you say, I want to pray with my kids every day in a week, and you only do it three times, that's three times more than you would have if you never started at all. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of my encouragement in the book, to say, man, be intentional. Put your heart into it. And just as you would plan your kid's birthday party or your vacation or their doctor visits, be intentional about making disciples at home. Um, Okay. And with that, we have
2: to take a break. That was fabulous. A great recap. We're going to have more information on our website for how people can find you and the Total Family Makeover. Thanks, Thanks, Melissa, for joining our show. We'll be right back with Girlfriend at Radio.
4: We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind
2: ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change
4: lives.
0: Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the TokiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same, but if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on togynet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: <laughs> well, our next guest, Jan Lomero, leads and serves with other church planners' wives in the ministry of Bloom to connect, empower, and lead. Jan and her husband, David, planted a church in Bakersfield, California, in 2003. She has served in local church ministry for over 30 years, and she's also developed and taught seminars and classes in forgiveness and demolition. She currently serves as a life coach and spiritual director, coming alongside ministry leaders to help them discover their identity and calling, which leads to greater focus and, and rest. So welcome, Jan. How are you today? Thank you. I'm great. I have to ask you, you have um, some children and I, and I love, we've had you on the show before and you've made a comment that you are not to be a parent to keep your kids safe, but to make them dangerous. And we just got to talking about really wanting our kids to crave Jesus and be able to Um, you know, pray with them, teach them how to pray. So in what area Mm -hmm. do you feel like you um, as a mom are making them dangerous? Because I love that.
5: (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. It's not our job to keep them safe, but boy, do we want to do that as moms, don't we? To make them dangerous. And so I think, um, to let them go and explore is the biggest thing, and, and it's so hard. My daughter, when she was fourteen, went to China by herself. Um, she flew by herself, and it was you know it was hard for my mother's heart to let her go, but I knew um, she was you know going on a mission trip, and she was you know going to be dangerous to the enemy, and the things that that developed in her were priceless.
1: mm boy that is true and and it's funny when you look back when you you know it, with Mary you know people say oh she was as young as you know 12 13 14 years old when she gave birth mm-hmm. to Jesus and, and we when you really think about some of the things that you know other cultures and their kings and queens at 11 and we're over here expecting our kids to you know well you can't do that until you're 25 you know my, my yeah. husband always which is my, uh, he teases my 15 year old who wants to go to the dance, you know, the Christmas formal coming up that, no, that's not going to happen until you're 30. And, uh, there's a little part of that as much as we joke that we're, we're serious with, but yeah. <laughs> so, in that, um, tell us a little bit more about what, what happened and how she did, you said it really, you know, she did a dangerous thing and taking on the enemy. What what did she walk away with when she came back?
5: Um, I, I think that she came away with a lot more confidence, um, you know, because she did it. And uh, she was, you know, proud that she could do that at that young age. And I think that she probably learned, too, that God was with her. And he's the one that really gave her the strength. You know, she she faced a whole different culture and uh, food and, you know, she was sick a little bit of the time that she was away and, um, you know, her mommy wasn't there to comfort her. I was in a totally different time zone. So she really de- learned to depend on God and to let him be her strength. And I, I saw that when she came back. She, was, she walked a little bit taller and she she knew, you know, she owned those things that she had experienced
1: with God. Yeah. And so significant because so many times as a mom, we want to protect our kids. We do want to keep them safe. As a matter of fact, Lisa and I have laughed that, um, you know, so many times you hear parents say that when they leave, like, you know, drive carefully or be safe. And rather than, you know, my my mom would. You know, say something about get go have fun on your adventure and, and just even changing that paradigm shift of what we're saying to, you know, to our kids yeah. uh, to, you know, mind's like, go let your light shine. So yeah. to, to be aware of that, to be aware of what are the words that your kids, you know, could be your last words <laughs> you're saying mm-hmm. to your kids. But we were discussing earlier in the show of how we want to do things perfectly as parents. And I think mm-hmm. even subconsciously, we are we beat ourselves up if we see our kids, you know, going down a certain path or, you know, we, we take all that guilt on. So what, what are some areas with you, and especially being a uh, church planner's wife, that you've just had to release over to the Lord and go, you know what? I, I, I just I might not be able to be that that perfect parent. Um, I'm going to give this over to the Lord.
5: Mm, let's see. That's a good question. I I think um, fear is huge because as parents we can fear that our kids will make the wrong decisions or that they'll be hurt. Um, you know, so that's the um, desire to keep them safe all the time and to not let them experience things and do things and so as a parent i really have to give my fear to the lord um not, not only is my daughter adventurous you know in traveling the world but my son is an extreme unicyclist and so he does um tricks and things on his unicycle that i couldn't do on two feet Um, And I have to release that to God and let him be who God has created him to be um, and videotape it while he does these things. So yeah, Yeah. I think it's the biggest thing to give over as a parent. Mm.
2: I would so agree with that. And I think because we we want to uh, shelter them and protect them at all costs. And yet sometimes letting them have those experiences that takes them out of their comfort zone or or that they have to kind of run into the fear or they may get hurt a little bit. Those are part of the growing. We've all grown through those times in our own lives, but for some reason we want to protect our kids from that. And I know I, I, Mm -hmm. you know, I, that was a big thing with me because I was the one growing up where the last words from my parents, as I walked out the door was be careful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really think about that. And then my husband grew up totally opposite where he's just like, he was this daredevil. Like I'll try anything once. And he had to tame it down once we had kids and I'm coming from the thing like, Oh my, you've got to be careful that, you know, that you might get hurt or that might not be safe. And so yeah. I had I had to really relearn how to like, like, what are my parting words to my kids? Because my instinct, mm-hmm. because what I was raised is be careful, be careful. And yet do we really want them to totally be careful and live a risk-free life? Because that yeah. really is not what we're called to do but we want to do that and that's why I, I do agree that that whole yeah. fear thing and then you know how much rope do we give our kids and letting them be yeah. themselves you know this comes into identity which I know is a big topic for you and you know it's like letting them step into their identity like you said with your son in the unicycle that's kind of his identity that's mm-hmm. him and I can be yeah. so I can put my projections of fear onto him and take that away from him and so it's, it's how do we navigate through that, letting our kids be themselves, even if other people don't understand. And I know as a, as a pastor's wife that was hard sometimes. and Patty and I did a lot of laughing because when my daughter was um, in in the junior high and high school years, it was it was kind of a trying time. Um, that's when mm-hmm. styles for the shirts were really short and different things. and I had to make decisions like, is this a battle I need to win? Um, you know, or what do I do? Cause I know other people are looking at this going, I can't believe you're letting her do that. Or, and I had to believe in my child more than I listened to the, to the critics, you know, yeah. and, um, yeah. and then that's hard. That's hard to do because you're being watched and you're being, you know, judged somewhat about how you're raising your, your children, but yet you want to let them be them. And so where does identity, do you say, come into this, even with your own children?
5: Uh, let's, we have a little parting phrase as well that was uh, that my parents said to me, my dad especially, and so we say, "Remember whose you are." So as my kids are going out wherever they're headed, whether it's a date or to go unicycling, um, they'll often hear me say, "Remember whose you are," not who you are, but whose you are. So um, that you know, there's a, a double meaning there. They they do belong to me. They're a Lomero. Um, you know so that could play into the the pastor's kid thing, but that's not at all what what we meant, although that is a good thing to remember there's people watching you um but remember whose you are, you belong to god um and there's so many promises attached to that, and so many provisions attached to that it it, it means something that they belong to me and my husband, they have a lot of rights and Um, You know abilities uh, because of who we are, Um, but mostly I want them to remember their identity in Christ. Remember that you belong to God, and you're representing Him wherever you go. But you also have His hand upon you for protection, for provision, you know, for whatever you need, and to be who you are. as, As we're talking about identity, you know, remember you belong to Him, and you're you're living for an audience of one. You're living to please him, so that that's our little reminder as they go out the door
2: and And that is so great because that that really does set the stage. We don't realize how empowering or discouraging our words can be and setting the stage. I remember, Patty and I, I, you know, this was interesting because years ago when we were creating and doing events and women would come up and what seems natural to us, we would, we thought we were really setting the stage, like go have a blast was we were greeting them to come in. So setting the stage, go have a blast. And, you know, even that was helpful to them to go, okay, I'm about ready to enter a place that's going to be fun. Sometimes, you know, people said, I don't even know what having a blast means. And that was a whole nother conversation. But, but, you know, we wanted to set the stage is like, you're about ready to enter into something really special and fun. And we want to prepare you even right now as you get ready to enter in. So I think even our words and preparation for what somebody's going to step into really does matter. And our, and our tone yeah. and, how, and how we say that. Yeah. So even with our kids, yeah. I think that really, really does matter. Well, we just have about a minute, yeah. so we're going to take our, our break, Jan. Um, but this whole thing with identity and our kids, what have you seen? And, you know, like I said, we only have a few seconds, so you're going to make this really quick, and then we'll continue it. <laughs> but I don't want to have to rudely interrupt you. Um, but, you know, but, you know, the whole identity with your kids and, like, like you discovered it with your son. And like being, t- being um, you know, kind of being students of your kids to really identify what their identity is. And that's, that's yeah. a challenge as parents um, to understand, like you said, you notice your son loves this and it might not be something you would have chosen for them uh, or, or would have wished they would do, but that's what they're doing. And so yeah. I think a lot of the challenge is how do I support them in that um, and let them be them and, and give up my own. Um, perceptions or my own opinions of that and not hinder them from being the person God created them to to be and I think that just it really that that is a challenge and how do we navigate through that well I I asked you to share and then I took up the whole time um (laughs) okay and I sorry about that so anyway we're going to go take a quick quick commercial break and then we'll be right back on Girlfriend at Radio okay
6: the average five-year-old asks about 400 questions a day. I overheard an embarrassing one. A little boy was talking to his grandmother on the telephone and said, I haven't seen you in a long time, Grandma. Are you in heaven? What do you call a small person who talks a lot? A yif-yaf. Not to be confused with a yip-yop, which is a young scatterbrained person. Here are some questions I think we've all wondered. If humans evolved from monkeys and apes, why do we still have monkeys and apes? Why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle? Where did the phrase "curiosity killed the cat" come from? It's actually a 16th-century American saying that daredevil, curious cats can sometimes get into trouble. Here's a couple of other words for daredevils: hardy darties or harum scarums. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
1: been chatting with jan lamero and she leads and serves with other church planners wives in the ministry of bloom to connect empower and lead and jan and her husband david planted a church in bakersville california back in 2003 and she served in local church ministry for over 30 years and she has developed and taught seminars and classes in forgiveness and demolition uh jan you were just talking about uh As your kids leave, uh, you've carried on the legacy of your father saying, remember whose you are. And I love that because there's so much, you know, it goes deeper than just remember whose you are. But remembering that you you represent Jesus, but you also Mm -hmm. have his hand on you for protection. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Lisa was asking you about that. Like, how do you, um, you know, put that on your kids, their identity, and how do you help them discover Whose they are, so I think I love Stephen telling them when they walk out the door is such a good reminder yeah. in their identity. But do you have another tip in telling our listeners about that?
5: Yeah, well, um, my kids are teens and then young adults, and so really they're discovering who they are, and they need a lot of freedom to try a lot of things. Um, my husband and I teach a. Um, retreat and seminar about identity and one of the things that we start with is doing a timeline and looking back at your life um, to the you know the major points in your life and and just sort of putting it on a grid to see the dots what God has done in your life and what happened Um, and then seeing if there's a theme like oh I see that you know he did all these things for me it was Related to the church, and I realized, wow, I, I've been interested in the church since I was really young. I cared about it. So right now, my kids need a lot of freedom to just explore, um, and try things. You know, my son just was bored one day, and a friend of his decided to uh, order unicycles online. Well, goodness, that has turned into a huge thing. He just went to an international unicycling competition. Um, You know, he wrote his college essay about all that he's learned through that. So, you know, if I had discouraged that or said, oh, you can't do that or it's too dangerous, I would have stopped that whole thing of his life. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of discovery that's going on, and they need freedom to explore when they're young.
2: Absolutely, and I think that that is the thing is giving them that freedom and modeling that for them. And, and, incur- and then, then it's encouraging on that because it's like, you you know, you would probably have never dreamed that that would be what your child would do. But then how does he truly use that um, in his giftedness, you know, and, and in his identity? And um, so many times, but it, it, it's being aware and really kind of being a student of your child, because it's like I, I have a son and a daughter and they both were, you know, so different in their temperaments and personality. And yet, you know, you, you and that's the case. We have, you know, we raise our children and they're very different, but they're from the same people in the same home. And yet they're very different. And so I, I just remember, you know, what worked for one in discipline did not work for the other. And so you had yeah. to even learn what that's is true. effective of that. So how do you, like with this whole thing, identity, how would you, um, you know, how would you tell people like to even start and, in and even just, um, living in that place of your identity?
5: Mm -hmm. Well, we, um, we help people collect some dots. First of all, um, look, look back over your life and see what it is that God's been doing. You know, so looking at a timeline is one of the little tools, um, See what themes, you know, um, you can create from what you see God's been doing in your life. What lessons did you learn through these things that happened? You know, my son has learned some things about life and about himself through unicycling. That would be one of the dots on his timeline for sure if he was looking back. And then um, we also have people collect what we call life verses. So what, you know, what verse has been your, quote, favorite verse? Um, throughout your life. And then w- why? Sometimes we just say that's my favorite verse, but what is it about that verse that is speaking to who you are, who God created you to be? Um, and then another dot that we collect is um, Bible characters. Like, which Bible character do you identify with? Oh, I've just always loved Joshua. Well, okay, what is it about Joshua that you love? What is it about that story? Uh, why do you identify with him so much? Um, what is God saying about your identity through that? And then also words that other people have spoken to you. Do, what, what are people always saying? You're so good at this or um, you know, and then we take all of those dots and say, and and then pull back, look at the big picture of who God's creating you to be. we I started with a dot to dot exercise with our, our students and it was a, a pretty intense one that you could just from looking at the dots you couldn't tell you know the kids ones you can tell what it is already but with these we couldn't tell what it was and for one person she connected the dots and it, it was complete and she still couldn't tell what it was but then I pulled it back and she looked at it and oh it's I think that's a butterfly and so the same thing with our life with all these dots that we're collecting then take a step back and look at it and see what you're seeing what what do you see about yourself when you look at all those different aspects of your identity
2: and I, those are that's a great discipline and exercise and if we just take and becoming even a student of ourselves to go mm-hmm. really who am i how have i been wired how have my life experiences and conversations how do they kind of help mold me into who I am and who I, who I'm becoming. And so I think that's a really good lesson. Well, um, you know, we know that you are from our ministry partner, Bloom and um, which is for church planning wives. And um, you you, uh, love what you guys do because you truly do. You're a community of church planning wives and you empower each other to really maximize your roles and as you start churches and as you continue to lead churches and, and um, you know, I, I know you guys are under, you know, the, the ministry of stadia, which is really, it really, you're about transforming lives and communities. And it really starts with one person at a time, like you said, your identity. And even as you're a part of the bigger community with other women and wives, how do you, even in that community, help each other just in the discovery and living within yourself. Cause that's so significant. So many people live without community and, and even, a, you know, a shared community to go, okay, you understand what I'm going through. And that's what's so sweet about the ministry of bloom and what stadia does. It provides that community for you all who are in this kind of the same journey, but though different, but how do I connect? And I know like, um, you know, Debbie Jones, I'm going to, you know, shout out to her and, and Vanessa, that, you know, great leaders that you guys are all leading together to encourage each other to really live out who God created you to be. How do you find that community being significant in your and living your own identity?
5: Yeah, that's great. Bloom is such a unique um, ministry because you're right, uh, pastors' wives or church planner wives are all very different. You, They have their own identity, they're unique. Some of these ladies. Oh, my goodness, can you get up there and preach a sermon that will bring you to your knees? It's amazing. It's inspiring. It's intimidating to me. Um, others are really good at sitting one-on-one with somebody and listening and talking to them. Um, so as a community, when we get together, again, we'll really um, allow each other to be who we are. Some of us are just stay-at-home moms and are not even that involved, you know, in in the ch- maybe the church ministry some are children's ministers, some are worship ministers, um, so we're really diverse and we recognize that and allow each other to be who we are, um, and we also uh, in Bloom uh, allow people to try uh, and explore with their gifts, so we give them opportunities um, to lead to uh, you know, speak at our retreats or try out other leadership gifts, because a lot of times um, once we're in ministry either it's assumed that we can do this you know and so we get thrown in front of somebody you know in front of the crowd to do something that we really haven't been equipped to Um, but with Bloom it's a safe place to try our gifts and explore and um, to let each other be who we are Mm.
2: and that is really that's powerful it's empowering and we need that Mm -hmm. and that's what we can give even in our own communities at home and churches and providing that. And, um, and though we're different, you know, bringing our commonalities together with that.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, um, okay. So this, this, I love the thing of identity because I think so many times we, we live through life, not really knowing who we really are. And I, and like, like you said earlier, who, who's we are and from that place mm-hmm. of whose we are, we can discover who we are. And, but we don't take the time to do that and to look that. That
1: sounds, like, a, uh, that sounds
2: like one of those Dr. Seuss
1: books. <laughs> are you mocking <laughs> me? <laughs> it was like, we know who we are, but not whose we are. But if we are whose we are, then we'll know who we are. <laughs> well, you know, I love Dr. Seuss. I know. So. Yeah. I was know. sitting here in my yeah. waiting place, listening to your Dr. Seuss. <laughs> 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 Sorry, okay. Louise.
5: Go ahead.
2: You Finish totally who yeah, go ahead and answer that, whatever I just asked. I don't know.
5: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that once we do know who we are, and this is, it's a huge process. You know, I'm I'm over 40. I felt like I should have it together and know who I was. But it was a process of then looking back and collecting the dots and saying, oh, this is who God made me to be. And then when I figure that out, it really brings focus and rest, because I don't I don't have to try on every hat, and I especially don't have to try to please everybody being something that I wasn't created to be, so I don't waste energy. And, you know, Ephesians says that as each part does its work, the body is built up into the head. So I need to know what part I am, but there's a process, you know, of discovering that. But once I find that out, I can run with it. I can be that person, and that is what brings me abundant life, really. It brings... um, Joy and satisfaction, because when you're doing who, when you're doing what you were created to do, and being who you were created to be, it's the most fulfilling thing ever. And it's you're leading from overflow. You know, it's just it's just who you are. It doesn't take nearly as much energy and time. So I think the the quicker we can help people to discover that, and even by giving our kids freedom, by giving us as Young ministry leaders, you know, permission to try things and to fail things, and to go, whoops, that wasn't it. I'm, that's not who I am." Um, then they can come to the place quicker, saying, "No, this is who I am. I love it because that's who God's made me to be, and I can run with it."
2: And Jan, that's a great conclusion because we're we're out of time. Thank you for joining our show and sharing your insights Thank and you. telling us to live our identity. Have a great day. Thank you.